spoke with today went on and on and on about how friendly and warm and welcoming our church is. And um, we, uh, we have that culture here. We've had that culture here for a while. And I've got to say, I, I don't take that for granted. Um, you visit most churches, uh, even Baptist churches, and you don't find a warm, hospitable presence. And so thank you for that. Um, let me encourage us as a church to take that a step further. Take that a step further. Um, go out of your way on purpose to be the most friendly to people that maybe you would not naturally go toward. If we have someone who comes in, say, riding our buses, an adult person who comes in riding our buses, and they, um, they look like they grew up on, in the street. They're, they're street smart, street aware. Uh, maybe they're dressed a little bit different than the way some of us do, or they walk a little bit different. Um, let's go out of our way to be extra friendly to them. Do you understand that people gravitate toward folks that they're like? And so if someone comes to our church, which is in the suburbs, and they didn't grow up in the suburbs... Um, they, um, thank you, Pastor David. Uh, they grow up, they, if they go to a church in the suburbs, they didn't grow up in the suburbs, they're not familiar with the suburbs, then they're going to, um, they're not going to feel real comfortable here. You'll understand that? So we've got to go out of our way to make them feel comfortable. And I don't think we have a problem with being snobby or snooty or pushing that crowd away, but we've got to go out of our way to make them feel very, 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 very loved and warm and welcomed. So thank you, White Oak, for being a friendly church, a welcoming church, a hospitable church. And let's, uh, let's make every effort to, uh, to, to continue that and even to step up our game and be even better at it. Proverbs 6, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 6 down through verse 11 here. The Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. We've been looking at uh, this topic of learning to love reproof, learning to love being corrected. Last week, we talked about self-reliance. Tonight, we turn our attention to the topic of laziness, laziness. Let's pray. God, I ask that you'd help us as we look at this sermon, uh, this topic. Uh, Lord, I know all of us here can be challenged by it on some level, and we have a tendency to uh, categorize, categorize ourselves as either hardworking or lazy and not leave any room for middle ground. I believe, Lord, that we all uh, can find some grounds where we're lazy. All of us can. And so, Lord, where you open uh, uh, our eyes to that tonight, help us to identify it and determine that we're going to cease to be lazy in the areas of life that truly matter. Impress the sermon on our hearts. Help us each to be tender toward the correction of your word, and the correction of reasoning that comes from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week, we talked about the sin of self-reliance. The thrust of the sermon was that instead of relying on your own abilities 
to get through life, uh, you need to turn over out. You need to turn over uh, your abilities to God and allow Him to have control. All right, let me ask: How many of you were here and heard the sermon last Sunday night? Can you hold your hand up for me? Or you, even if you saw it online, but you've you, you've seen the sermon, know the sermon. Okay, uh, how many of you would identify yourself as the the doer? You're the driven doer. That you, you are the one that leans on work ethic. Would you hold your hand up? Okay. How many of you would label yourself as the uh, inspired, uh, uh, you're, you are the excited, inspired one, and you lean on a big personality to get you through life? How many of you hold your hand up there? All right. How many of you here are more of a people person in the shadows? You don't like the limelight on you, and you enjoy those warm, personal Friendships, those one-on-one, warm, personal friendships. Hold your hand up, okay? And how many of you here would say, Pastor, uh, I, I am both reserved and I am task-oriented and I am a calculated, careful person and I rely more on that, my intellect, to get me through life. Would you hold your hand up there for me? Okay. Um, uh, the goal of the sermon was not to get you to stop being a hard worker. Or to stop having a big personality. Or to stop getting you to have warm relationships. Or to stop getting you to be smart. The goal of the sermon was for you to take those and give them to God. And so God would work through you and with you. Now, God does not... So so let me just recap it this way. And this is going to segue into tonight's sermon. God does not want us to do His work without Him. You say, well, what is His work? It's all His work. It's all his work. If you go to work and you write code on computers for a living, that is the work of God. If you make, uh, if you if you work in a factory and you push out big pens, that's work for God. If you uh, teach school, you say, but I'm not teaching the Bible. I'm teaching English or math or science. No, no, you're doing the work of the Lord as you do that work. As long as you're not doing a job that's producing sin, then you're doing the work of the Lord. And when you do God's work, he does not want you to do it without him. Now, he, uh, uh, God does not want to do his work without you. You see what I'm getting at here? God does not want you to do his work without him. And God does not want to do his work without you. God wants to do the work with you. With you. He wants you to give your abilities to Him, and He wants to work with you to get it accomplished. He wants it to be a team effort. God has chosen to do much of His work through mankind. Through mankind. So, God, uh, there are certain things that won't get done if we refuse to do them. It just won't. Because God has set it up that way. You say, but God could send an angel to get it done. Yes, He could, but God has chosen to use us to get it done. Let me give you a fine example of this. Uh, in the era of time that we live in, in the Bible, the messengers to take the gospel to the world is the church, the redeemed saints. Now, could God take Michael out of heaven and say, I want you to go to Bangladesh and I want you to proclaim the truth to everyone in Bangladesh? Yes, he could. But God doesn't do that because God wants us as Christians to take the gospel to Bangladesh. I just picked the country off the map. Um, you say, well, what if the people in Bangladesh die and go to hell? Is that God's fault? Nope. It's not. It's our fault. 
collectively as Christians. It's the people that God has called to go to Bangladesh that don't go. It's the missionary in Bangladesh that's too busy living his life to actually do the work of a missionary. So it, it's the Christian who's not putting the money in the plate to send the missions, missionaries to the mission field that they ought to. God has chosen to do much of his work through mankind. And if mankind isn't compliant, the work doesn't get done. Now, here in Proverbs 6, we find Solomon teaching his son Rehoboam about the importance of hard work. Here's how I imagine Proverbs 6 came about. I imagine that uh, Solomon, King Solomon, took Rehoboam and he led him to a part in the a, a place in the castle and he gave him a job to do. And he said uh, to Rehoboam, "Here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to get it done. Here's when I want it done." And Solomon walked away, and then he came back, and that job was either not done at all or not done the right way. And Solomon thought to himself, "How do I get this lazy?" sluggard son of mine to work. So he took Rehoboam by the hand or by the ear, depending on his age, and he he led him out of the palace outside to the sidewalk outside the palace where a team of ants were working very hard to carry uh, food from one spot to the other. And he looked at his sluggard son, Rehoboam, and he said, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her way, And be wise. You see that ant? There are some things you can learn about the ant. First, notice that the ants are hard workers. They work hard. They uh, they don't sit around and act lazily. They are always at work. They wake up with a task at hand and they go at it. Uh, and, And then he points out to him here in this passage, ants do not need a supervisor to stay on top of them. They don't need someone lording over them to make sure. Uh, those of you that work computer jobs, that's the shortcut that hides the Facebook screen when your boss is coming by. So you can hurry up and act like you were working. And then as soon as you know he's gone, you pull it back up. Uh, those of you on the factory, uh, that's playing around in a portion of the warehouse or the factory where you know the boss isn't until you hear footsteps and you go back, right back at it. That's uh, uh, hanging out at the water cooler a little too long until you see the supervisor coming. An ant doesn't need a supervisor to say, hey, get back to work. Quit wasting company time. The ant's just working. He doesn't need a supervisor. He knows what his orders are. He knows what the task is, and he's at it. Ants are perceptive about uh, upcoming shortages. The Bible says here about the ant that he knows that the cold time is coming, and he must stow food away to be prepared for when winter comes, and he's prepared for that time. Ants are up early, and they work as late as they need to. Now, we must pray and trust like All of the outcome depends on God. And then we must work diligently like it all depends on us. you got a problem in front of you. You don't know how you're going to handle it. It seems too big for you. You say, well, pastor, what do I do? You get down on your knees every morning and you say to the Lord, Lord, this problem's too big for me. Or, Lord, this problem maybe isn't too big for me, but I don't want to do it in my strength. And God, I'm going to pray like... All of this is going to depend on your power making it happen. And then you get up off your knees and you attack that problem and you go at it and you work hard and you trust that God is going to work through you to accomplish it and that God's going to make it happen through you. So you pray like it all depends on you. You pray before you start. You pray while you're working. You pray after you work. But you work, you work, you work. 
Let me also say by way of introduction this evening that God can use almost anyone. In fact, the Bible tells us about times that God has used people such as drunks, murderers, adulterers. There are stories in the Bible of God using vile, wicked, godless kings. God has even used a blasphemous fool to accomplish his will. But there's one person, there's one person that God cannot use. God cannot use a lazy man. He cannot use a lazy man. God can't use you if you won't be used. If you're going to sit on your hands and you're going to uh, uh, lay in your bed and sleep and you're going to uh, 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 pass, uh, let work pass you by, if you're going to refuse to work, God can't use you. He can use anybody else. But he can't use you if you are a lazy man or a lazy woman. I propose that laziness comes in many forms. Laziness can, can be categorically denied by someone who sees themselves as a hard worker. But, but if we are honest with ourselves, we all struggle with laziness in one form or another. Some of us are lazy at our job. Some of us are lazy at home. Some of us are lazy at doing the Lord's work. Some of us are lazy in our walk with God. And some of us are lazy at telling others about Jesus. But uh, and, and you say, well, I've got all those covered. Then there are other areas, I'm sure, where you're, uh, uh, you come up a, a little lazy. God has created us to work. And when we work, He rewards us. What is Galatians 6, 7? Quote it with me if you know it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow hard work, you will reap. Now, uh, my wife and I, over the last seven days, we worked hard to invite people to church. We invited a lot of people to church. We invited people who were loosely connected with this church. We invited people in the community that we've met that have never been here. Uh, we invited neighbors. We invited uh, uh, friends. Uh, we, we invited all kinds of people. And you know what? We sowed, and it appears that we didn't reap. But I promise you, we did. Or I promise you, we will. We will. The Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow laziness, you're going to get the results. If you sow hard work, you're going to get the results. Someone once said, uh, 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 they said, I know when someone has failed, when they're bragging about the effort made. Someone has failed when they're bragging about the effort made. If you're not bragging about the results, then you'll brag about the effort made. I didn't have the results today. We, we didn't have people come to church that we invited. So you know what I did? I'm getting up talking about the effort that was made. Now, did you really make the effort or are you talking up your effort a little more than you ought to? Laziness. Laziness. Now, um, Tonight, I want each of us to take a hard look inside at who we are. Some of you have already written off the sermon. I know I'm not lazy. Okay. Will you stop being so simple-minded? Will you set that to the side? I'm not a lazy person. Will you set that to the side and say, God, if there is an area of laziness inside of me, tonight, will you put your finger on it? Tonight, will you show me? Tonight, will you help me to... Get that corrected so that I don't have to be lazy. Let's look at five thoughts 
about this topic of laziness as we continue our series, Learning to Love Reproof. Number one, the purpose of mankind. The purpose of mankind. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. We're done in Proverbs 6. We'll be back in Proverbs a little bit later, but Genesis chapter 2. We stop and analyze why God made man. We can boil down those things to just a couple of items. And when I say man, what I mean is mankind, man and women. Why did God make us? Humanity, a human race. Well, you can boil it all down to just a few things, right? Solomon tells us that God made man, why? To fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, Solomon tells us. Um, You can read the Bible and in many places find where it's clear the reason why God made man was so that man would bring pleasure to God. It's that plain and simple. God made you so he could have pleasure himself. But... um, What are the other reasons or what other main reason is there that God made man? Or maybe what is man's mission after he was created? Another reason is quite obvious. We were made to work. We were made to work. Look at Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden. Why? To dress it and to keep it. You know what that means to me? Put him there to work. Put them there to work. Now, work was around before sin. You see that there? And work was not a problem for Adam. Adam woke up every day and he wanted to work. He didn't wake up and go, oh, my back hurts today. I think I'm going to call out sick. He didn't say, oh, you know what? I think I'd rather go floating down the Nile River in my bass boat. I don't have time to go to work. No, no, no. Adam got up and he wanted To go to work. It was natural for him. It was regular for him. Uh, Work was part of the purpose of why Adam was made and he desired it. Now, I'm not going to have you flip to these other passages, but uh, I want you to know that work was around before the fall of sin. Uh, Work uh, is around now that we live under the curse of sin. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. If you're not willing to work then you don't get to eat. I would love if we would go back to that system in the U.S. of A. Remember the, uh, the, uh, the old colony where uh, uh, the, uh, I, think, I think it was Jamestown was established and they came up with a socialism setup. Everyone stick your food in the warehouse and go over and you, we'll just all share. And everyone quit working. And the colony was falling apart, and then I believe it was John Smith. If I have my wrong John, that's okay. You can tell me later. I'm sure someone will. Um, but uh, John Smith rolled up on a boat. Lots of women on the boat. I'm sure that helped bring up the morale of the men. Uh, but uh, they all got off the boat, and John Smith said this. He said, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If you don't work, you can't eat. Boy, I wish we'd get back to that. You want a check from the government? Okay. Go to work. Go get a government job. They pay really well, by the way. Really, really well. I lived in a county that was one of the highest paying counties in America. And like 80% of the employed, that may be a little high, 60% of the employed were government contract jobs. Boy, they make good money. But uh, if you don't work, you don't eat. So work was around before the fall. Work is around now that the fall has happened. You say, well, when we get to heaven, Pastor, we surely won't have to work, right? We will be working in heaven. You're not going to be an angel that gets its wings. Sorry, Clarence. 
Um, you're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, eating uh, grapes and, you know, running up and down the streets of gold and just doing nothing. You will have a job in heaven. You kids that don't like your parents giving you chores, you're going to have chores in heaven. You folks that uh, are looking forward to retirement, sorry, you're going to come out of retirement when you get to heaven. God's going to... He's going to give you a job in heaven. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Now, this man, this is a parable that's tying to us standing in front of God in heaven. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You want to know what, what hard work is? Being in charge of people. That's hard work. Let me tell you, you folks, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, but uh, being a, how many of you here have ever held a position of authority at work? How many of you here with your hands up have ever been like, I hate people! You ever felt that way while you're at work? People get on my nerves! When we get to heaven, we're going to be rulers. We're going to have tasks and responsibilities. Work was around before sin. Work is around now that sin is here. Work will be around when we're in heaven and sin is gone. Work, work, work. What is the purpose of humanity? It is in part to work. And so we know uh, in part why God created us. To W-O-R-K, work. Number two, we see the punishment for sin. Turn back over to Genesis chapter 3. Here in Genesis 2, look at Genesis 3. We all deal with the sin curse every day. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we disobey, rebel, mislead, uh, act contentious, love ourselves more than God or love ourselves more than others. Uh, we see how sin hurts us. But how much does sin affect our work ethic? How much does it affect our work ethic? We think in terms of of our, our Adamic sin nature when it comes to lying or bad attitude. But do we really think about it in terms of a work, from a work perspective? Sin has, uh, the fall has brought about problems with our work ethic. How much does sin contribute to laziness? Well, look at Genesis 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, I like to quote this to my wife and see, See, God says I shouldn't listen to you. Right there. You see that? Because you listen to the voice of your wife, and everything quoted behind that is problems. So if I hearken to your voice, it's just going to be problems. You see that? That's biblical. That's what we call taking a verse out of context. Don't do that. All right. Uh, uh, but uh, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of, the, of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Let me quickly give you an A and a B here. Notice first letter A works discomfort, works discomfort. Verse 19 says it this way, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. The sweat of thy face. Um, um, being a pastor, my job is pretty much uh, pencil pushing, 
keyboard typing, hospital visiting, and I use the elevator when I go to the hospital. I don't walk up the stairs. So, um, I, you know, I don't do a lot of physical labor. Uh, sometimes I'll help clean around the church occasionally. Uh, that's not too strenuous. Uh, uh, I had a, a time where my grass got really tall. My lawnmower broke, and then I bought a new lawnmower. My grass, grass was like three feet tall. So uh, I got outside, and I had to run over my lawn like three times to get it down to the level without breaking the new lawnmower. And uh, I got done, and boy, I was covered in sweat. I walked inside to give my wife a hug, and I about lost my marriage over that. And um, uh, so I, I got in the shower and I got cleaned up and I, you know, I was still sweating the rest of the day and miserable and hot, and nasty. And then I woke up the next morning and I felt like I was 85 years old. Everything hurt. Amen, Mike. Now, Mike's pushing 85. Um, uh, everything hurt. I mean, my sphincter hurt. Everything hurt. Uh, that actually didn't hurt. But I had things hurting that uh, that weren't supposed to hurt. You know why? Because work is painful. There's a discomfort when it comes to work. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's strenuous to the mind. It's strenuous to the body. It brings about sweat. By the way, that didn't happen before Adam sinned. He got done at the end of the day and he wasn't tired. His brain didn't hurt. His body didn't hurt. He felt Great. He felt wonderful. He felt rested just as much as he did if he had never worked at all. So uh, uh, this is part of the sin curse. Letter B, notice, works difficulty. Look at verse 17 of Genesis 3. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns, thorns also and Thistles shall it bring forth of thee. So uh, not only is work painful, but work is just straight up difficult. It's straight up difficult. There are times where I uh, get into like the, the eighth or ninth or tenth hour of church work. Maybe I've had some heavy counseling sessions and I uh, open up my Bible and I begin to read to prepare to put a sermon together. And it's just not happening. It's just not happening. And I can't get my thoughts together. And I, I can't get the outline uh, uh, to, to work. I can't even, and I have to walk away because my brain is just shot. I think about a farmer who works in the field who gets caught up in some thorns and some thistles. I think about an electrician who gets a shot of electricity through his body. I'm sure that's happened to you at times, Mike. I think about a carpenter who hits his a thumb with a nail maybe in the early days or maybe even someone who loses a finger in a table saw. I think of uh, I think of uh, uh, doctors and hospitals who uh, uh, have to deal with all kinds of uh, of blood uh, that come out of people and and all of the difficulties that come with work. And and uh, and, and I think about all of the uh, bloggers on the Internet who have to deal with all the nasty comments from people. No, I'm just being funny on that one. Uh, but work is difficult. Work is difficult. And that didn't used to be that way. That is why we tend to be lazy. Because work hurts and work is hard. Work hurts, work is hard. Number three, notice the perspectives on work. Perspectives on work. Now, all of point one and two was background to set us up for the rest of the sermon here. So let's look at the Bible. Notice letter A. This is the perspective of the sluggard. The sluggard that desires. The sluggard that desires. Proverbs 13, 4. Turn there. You want to underline this verse. You want to memorize this verse. 
mark this verse. We're going to come back to this verse a few times uh, during the sermon. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 4. It says there, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. We'll look at the rest of the verse in a minute. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. The sluggard is the lazy person. They want everything that a rich man has, but they don't have any of it. They want to live in a nice home, but because of their laziness, they'll never own one. They want to drive a nice vehicle, but because of their laziness, they'll never drive one. They want a big Sunday school class. But because of their laziness, they'll never get it. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Turn back a couple of uh, uh, chapters. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Look here. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack or a lazy hand. So a lazy hand leaves one desiring. A lazy hand leaves one Poor. Let me read for you 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If you're not willing to go to work and provide for your own, then you are such a bad reputation to the Christian faith, God says you've just denied it. Flat out denied it. Because to be a Christian is to work. And to work is a Christian ethic. Go to work. Work hard. Don't have a lazy hand. Um, And the Bible says you're worse than an infidel. Now, that word infidel means unbeliever. Unbeliever. Or someone who just flat out rejects the Christian faith and the Christian uh, uh, ethics of work. Uh, Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20 verse 13. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Um, Some people never see the sunrise. They never see it rise. They, they, they They stay up late, and they wake up late. They're lazy. They're just flat out lazy. And the Bible says here that you'll come to poverty. You'll come to poverty. Now, turn over to uh, turn back a chapter of Proverbs 19 and look at verse 15. The sluggard that desires. They want all the things that a hard worker has, but because of their laziness, they're just left desiring and they don't have any of it. Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Now, how many of you have ever had a season in your life where maybe you did a little bit more sleeping than you should have? And you, what you learned, what I learned during that, those small periods in my life is that if you sleep too much, it makes you more tired. And you want to sleep more. 
How many of you ever experienced that? Maybe you had a week off and you, you had a vacation and you overslept, you just slept too much. And uh, I think about a teenager who stays up to like four in the morning playing video games during the summer and then sleeps till noon and then gets up at noon and wants to go back to bed at one and then sleeps till about seven and then gets up and plays video games till four in the morning. Right? Rinse, recycle, repeat. The whole thing. Uh, But that's it. If you are a sluggard and you love sleep, well, you're just going to end up loving sleep more. And it's just this downward cycle that ruins you. And the Bible says here, an idle soul shall suffer hunger. An idle soul shall suffer hunger. Why? Because you're not going to work to earn anything to buy yourself uh, food to eat. So the perspectives uh, on work, we have the sluggard that desires. Let's look at the uh, other end of the spectrum, the worker that is diligent. Go back to Proverbs 13, 4. The worker that is diligent. I love when the Bible alliterates my outline. I love it. Uh, we have desireth out of Proverbs 13.4. We find the word diligent there. Look at Proverbs 13.4. It says, The soul of the, slu- uh, the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Shall be made fat. Or made bountiful. Made plentiful. Made rich. Made abundant. Made full. The soul of the diligent. Diligent. Um, if you're taking notes, can I encourage you to write this down below uh, Proverbs 13.4 where you're taking notes. There are two keys to be successful in life. Two keys to be successful in life. I promise you, if you'll do these two things, no matter what you put your hand at, you'll be successful at. Number one, pay attention to details. Pay attention to details. You know what that's called? Being diligent. Pay attention to details. You ever tried carrying a big piece of furniture through a, a, a small area with someone who's careless? They're not watching the corners. They're not watching the edges. They don't take the time to plan. It's just, let's pick it up, move it. And you have, you, you gouge the walls, you tear up the framework. Maybe you should have even taken the door off ahead of time so that you knew you, you know you could get it through. But now nah, it'll fit. Let's just push real hard. You're not paying attention to details. Step number two, follow directions. Follow directions. If you'll pay attention to details and you'll follow directions, you're going to be successful at anything you put your hand at. Now, granted, there are some things that God maybe hasn't equipped you for or called you for, and no matter how hard you try, you won't be as good as others. But you can at least, you can at least get by if you'll pay attention to details and you'll Follow directions. And that is a diligent person. Now, uh, Proverbs, or Colossians 3.23 says this. It says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. You're to do it heartily. That means you're to put your whole heart and soul into it. If you're going to, uh, to sign up to participate in something, boy, you need to be all in. And you need to do it with all your heart. And you don't need to do it to please men. You need to do it to please the Lord. When I was little, I signed up to take piano. Or my mom signed me up to take piano. My mom, my mom signed me. I didn't volunteer. My mom signed me up. And I remember my dad sitting me down and he went over Colossians 3.23. You're going to do this heartily as unto the Lord. I was sharing this story with Miss Rachel and Pastor Michael on Wednesday night. I won't go into all the details, but my piano teacher was not agreeable. He made my life hard. And uh, about a year in, I was just like, 
the, the cartoon character that's running in place and going nowhere, every time I would practice and go to lessons, I wasn't advancing. And my dad sat me back down. He said, you don't need this to uh, do this to please men. You need to do this to please the Lord. He got real spiritual on me. And I said, oh, okay. And it just wasn't happening. So eventually he let me quit. And i got to tell you, I regret it today. I really wish my dad and my mom had stayed on me. I really wish I had taken a different attitude about this. There have been times where I wanted to quit sports leagues as a kid. I got hurt. I was a fifth grade boy. I was playing on a varsity flag football team. It was more like tackle when the ref wasn't looking and pull the flag when he is. And I got hit over and I probably got concussed and all that stuff. And I wanted to quit. My dad said, throw some dirt on it, boy, and get back out there. We finish what we start. In times where I didn't feel good and I wanted to go home early after school and miss a sports practice. And my dad said, no, you sign up to do this. You do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Turn over there with me. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. We looked at the first half of this verse a minute ago. Let's focus in on the second half. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack or a lazy hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. Now, our trained brains look at Proverbs 10.4, and you know what we automatically think about? We think about money. Oh, if, if I work hard and I'm diligent, then I'm going to make money, because the Bible says I'm going to be rich. God bless you. Do you know that that is such a shallow view of the word rich? Very shallow. Let me give you a definition for rich. Write this down. Abundant, affording abundance, plentiful. Abundant, affording abundance, plentiful. Um, we all work, we all want great abundance. But we're not willing to work for it. We all want a lot of money. But we don't want to work hard to get it. We all want, uh, 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 all the bus captains I've ever known that have ever worked in a bus ministry, they want a large bus route, but many uh, were not willing to work hard to visit and pray and give and love in order to get it. Uh, all of the Sunday school teachers of every class I've ever met, if you sat them down and you asked them, do you want a big Sunday school class? Uh, uh, they would say yes, but many are not willing to in- invest in visiting and, and calling and following up and loving and giving of uh, the time, the treasures and talents in order to get it. We all want, all the parents I've ever met, want children who are abundant in good behavior, rich in good behavior, but we're not willing to work to train them and break down their stubborn, sinful wills and spend the time and work to invest in them by building them up and training them. Every married person I've ever met would say, yes, I want a rich, abundant marriage, but we're not willing to invest in our marriages. We uh, we want the end result, but we want to skip the work to get to it. We we all want great friendships. We all want rich friendships. We all want abundant friendships. But we're not willing to work hard at being a good friend in order to get that richness or depth or abundance of friendships. You see, the slothful, lazy man, he desires money. But he's not actually going to do the work 
to get it. The, the slothful, lazy man desires a large bus route, but he's not going to work to get a big bus route. And then he's going to make excuses as to why the route's not growing. Uh, uh, the slothful, lazy man desires a, 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 a growing Sunday school class, but they're not actually going to do the work to get that class. Uh, the slothful, lazy man desires obedient children, but won't do the work to have them. A slothful, lazy man desires a strong marriage, but won't work at it to make it happen. A slothful, lazy man desires great friendships, but won't work to be a great friend. But the diligent worker... The diligent worker, the worker that pays attention to details, the worker that follows directions and works hard at it, the diligent worker, you know what? He desires money, and then he goes out and he works and he gets it. Uh, the, the diligent worker, he desires a large bus route, and then he works hard to grow it. He desires a vibrant and exciting and growing Sunday school class, and then gives whatever it takes to make it happen. Uh, he desires obedient children and then puts in the work of studying the Bible and reading good books on parenting and investing the time and breaking the wills of the children and building the rapport with the children. Uh, uh, they want godly, obedient children and they pay the price with their trust in God and their work ethic at it. The diligent worker desires a strong marriage and then works hard uh, day in and day out to have a strong marriage. He, he or she does not rely on on past investments to carry over to today. No, this person is working hard today to make that marriage an abundant marriage, not based on the past, but based on today's actions. Uh, the diligent worker desires strong friendships and then pours himself in to being the best friend he can be. He is abundant in both quantity of friends and quality of friendships because he knows how to W-O-R. K work. You you look at any area of your life that's struggling right now and ask yourself this question. Is it because I am being lazy? And if you're honest with yourself, the answer is probably yes. It is probably yes. Number one, the purpose of mankind. Number two, the punishment for sin. Number three, the perspective on work. Let's look at number four, the phases of laziness. Now we're going to get down into what laziness really, really is here. Now I'm sure if we all had an open forum and uh, we, we brainstormed, we could probably come up with a few more. But I've come up with uh, three phases of laziness. All of us can find some area of our life where we are lazy at some level. All of us. Every single human alive. Let me briefly give you three phases, starting with phase three, or the worst, and working up toward phase one. So notice uh, letter A, phase three, refusal to work. I don't believe there's a single person here that falls into phase three. I believe everyone here is willing to go to work. I believe most of us here are gainfully employed or married to someone who is and, and, that, and that spouse contributes toward uh, uh, the earning of that paycheck by taking care of the home. Uh, but uh, refusal to work. Quickly, Proverbs 21.25. Let's look at these. Proverbs 21.25. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. 
refuse to labor. Look back at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. The sluggard will not plow. Will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Well, this person doesn't live in the welfare state of the U.S. where he doesn't have to work and he can still have. But in the Bible time, if you didn't work, there was no welfare system to bail your lazy backside out. You, you, you just, you, you starved or found somebody who was willing to give you off of their hard work. But Proverbs 21, 25 talks about a man or a woman or a sluggard who is uh, refuses to labor, won't work, makes, and then Proverbs 20 verse 4 talks about the sluggard who makes excuses as to why he can't work. Well, I can't go to work today, it's too cold. Eh, I can't go to work today, it's too hot. Eh, I can't go to work today, I've got a headache. Oh, I can't go to work today, my child might be getting sick. Oh, I can't go to work today, I think I got a hangnail last night. It's like, what? No, no, no. Go to work. I appreciate a man who go to work or a woman who go to work sick. And go into the bathroom and puke in the toilet just because they're determined to get the job done. Now, if you're contagious, don't go to work. I'm sure everyone around you would appreciate if you didn't, right? But if you're not contagious and you just don't feel good and you say, no, 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 I'm determined to get the job done. But this is a, this is a person who just refuses whatsoever to go to work. I, I went in for an interview when I got hired up in South Windsor to, to do tire, to, to the tire job. I went in uh, to the uh, boss's office and I was telling him how desperate I was for a job. And I was really desperate, most desperate uh, in, in time of my life for a job. And I remember um, he looked at me and he said, you know, most of the people that we get job applications on, they don't really want to work here. They're just submitting so they can get unemployment. And I was like, what? People do that? I guess the unemployment office makes you prove that you've submitted X amount of applications a week in order to continue to get the check. And so they would submit the applications to meet the quota, but then when they were called for the interview, they wouldn't show up. Well, that's phase three. That's refusal to work. Phase two. Phase two, reluctance to give one's all. Reluctance to give one's all. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, Whither thou goest. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 9. Look here. Proverbs 18, 9. He also that is slothful, look here, in his work. So this is someone who's employed, but they're lazy at their work. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. So you look at someone who goes to work, but they're lazy at work. And you look at someone who does a lot of wasting. These two guys are related. These two guys are related. This is uh, someone at the buffet who takes one bite of the steak and then tosses it out. And that kind of thing drives me nuts. You put it on your plate, you eat it. Amen? Uh, so be careful what you put on your plate. Uh, but uh, uh, friend of a waster. Now, how many of you here know, I'm going to describe someone who's probably at all of your jobs, if you work around a lot of people. All right? And I want you to think, and when you have identified this person that comes to mind, raise your hand. I'm talking about the person who does just enough to skate by with the boss. They, they show up at the last minute. They leave as soon as they're allowed to leave. And they just barely do enough work to hold on to their job. How many can think of someone like that? Okay? Um, 
I can't, and I work here, so we're safe. Amen. This is someone who's reluctant to give their all. Now, you may do more than the boss requires, but what if the Lord Jesus Christ came to work with you tomorrow and followed you and watched you every step of the way? Would you work harder than you currently work? Let me get into phase one, rearranging of tasks. Rearranging of tasks. This is the one I think most of us probably can be guilty of. Uh, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, number our days, that we may apply our hearts and wisdom. This has to do with looking at your, your schedule and carefully planning your schedule and getting the most important things done first. Look at Proverbs 13 verse 4. Turn to Proverbs 13 verse 4. I'm almost done here, but look at Proverbs 13 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Now, again, that word diligent, that word diligent is someone who is thorough in their work. Here's what I mean by rearranging of tasks. Let's say that when you get to work tomorrow, you've got five things that need to get done. And the most important item on the list is the one you want to do the least. And the fifth item on the list is the item that you enjoy the most. So, you know what many people do? They take the thing that is the most important that they don't want to do, and they set it over here. And then they go to that item on their plate, and it's work. But they go to the item on their plate that they enjoy the most. And they put all their effort into that. And then as the, de- the deadline's approaching for item one, they pull it back up to the front and they rush real quick and they do a terrible job on it and they present it. You know what? It isn't that you're not working and it isn't that you're not working hard. It's that you're not working smart. You're not working smart. This is, um, uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say, and I'm just going to make up a scenario here. Let's say that Pastor Mike, on a, on a week, he needs to get the choral book finished. And he needs to get the grass cut. And Pastor Lejeune comes to him and says, Pastor Mike, I know that you really enjoy cutting the grass, but this chorus book needs to get done first. And I look out the window, and he's out cutting the grass. He's behind the lawnmower. Whee! And I go to him, and I say, Mike, what are you doing? I say, Pastor Mike, I said the choral book, the tan book, needs to get done first. And Mike says, Pastor, I'm going to get it done. And then I show up Saturday at 9 o'clock. And he's in there and he's stapling away. He's like, oh, i got to get this done. And the staples are sloppy and the folds are messed up. If you notice, I'm using an illustration because that's not true. You know why? Because Pat Sastrom did it, not Mike. Um, I'm just picking on you, Mike. This is something we're all guilty of. We're all guilty of. We focus on the things that really don't matter. And the things that do matter, they don't get our full attention. Number five, the priorities of the diligent. I'm going to give you A, B, and a C. And I'm going to drive one point home and I'll be done. Letter A, his personal walk with God. The priorities of the diligent. The very first priority is his diligent walk with God. Joshua 1 eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Letter B, the provision for our family. 
the provisions for our family. So the very first priority in the life of the diligent one is his walk with God. The very next priority is that he provides for his own. Uh, we already looked at 1 Timothy 5.8. Uh, letter C, his promises and commitments. His promises and commitments. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So your walk with God comes first. Your uh, provision of family comes second. Your commitments come third. So ask yourself this question. What have I committed to and am I faithful to it? How many of you here believe God wants you to commit to be faithful to church? Would you raise your hand if you believe that God uh, uh, wants you to commit to be faithful to church? Then are you? If you're not, it's because you're lazy. How many of you here believe that God wants you to invite people to attend Wide Oak Baptist Church? How many believe that God would have you to do that? Are you doing it? Are you doing it consistently? I know you did it this week because it was friend day. Are you doing it consistently? If you want to argue about whether or not that's your duty, it's in the Bible. You kind of can't argue against that. Um, then, it's, then it just comes down to laziness. You say, well, I'm not being lazy, I'm working hard. Yeah, but you're working hard at the wrong thing. You're rearranging the tasks and you're doing what's important to you. And so tonight we have to ask ourselves this question, what commitments have I made here at the church and for the Lord and for my family and at work? And am I doing them all? Uh, some of you tonight need to take serious look at the commitments that you have because they conflict and they don't work. And you need to look at what's important in life. And you need to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm not able to do what I want to do because it's my will and not thy will. I'm not able to accomplish what I ought to accomplish because my priorities are out of order. And so look at this list tonight and look at this topic and ask yourself, am I diligent or am I left desiring? Let's have our heads bowed nice closed. Lord, tonight would you help us as we consider this truth? And Lord, if it hits home with someone, if it hits home with many people, then Lord, I pray that a correction would be made in the individual hearts. Lord, I know you worked on me this week about some things on this topic and sticking to the tasks that are most important in front of me and not just uh, uh, falling back on the ones that maybe would be easier or more desirable. But Lord, help us to be diligent. And Lord, this isn't about getting rich so we can have a lot of money. This is, Lord, about uh, having uh, even in the area of finances, having so that we can give toward your work and toward the needs of others that have not. So, Lord, help us to uh, seek not to just be fiscally rich, but, Lord, to be spiritually rich and rich in all of the other areas that you've called us to. And so, Lord, help us tonight to look at this and to work hard at it. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The altar's open if you'd like to come down and kneel and, and tell the Lord... Uh, something about the sermon or just about something totally unrelated I encourage you to do that at this time
Amen. You can look this way. Take that course book in front of you and turn to, uh, let's see here, page number 13. The top song on page 13, uh, the top uh, scripture song, Joshua 1.8. Let's talk about, uh, we looked at this briefly in the sermon, but uh, let's learn this verse via song. And you have the words there. You probably don't know the tune, but do your best to follow me. And then um, uh, uh, we'll sing it through twice. The second time it might be a little more familiar there to you. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Let's do it one more time. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there in day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Amen. Community days coming up uh, October 7th. In the lobby, we have a table uh, with stacks of these community day tracks.